Well, Nebuchadnezzar says to the wise men of Babylon, tell me what I dreamed last night and tell me what it means or I'm going to rip you limb to limb. That's kind of a challenge, isn't it? When somebody says, you, you tell me what I dreamed last night. Well, this is the truth. This is what I dreamed last night. I, I got up here to preach at just a moment like this and I was going well. I was about halfway through and then I couldn't find my sermon notes. They were just gone. They just vanished. There was a lot of music up here and announcements and I was just shuffling papers and I was hunting. It's the preacher's Saturday night nightmare of unpreparedness. I, I had worked. I was ready, but I was just shuffling those papers and that was a nightmare. But it, it gets worse. You didn't care. <laughs> I thought, this is going to ruin the whole service. This is going to ruin my reputation. I looked out there, and Robbie got up near the announcements, and Dan sang. And it's like, you never even noticed that right in the middle of the sermon that I lost my notes. So it's also the dream of diminished value. I had diminished value last night. Well, preachers have had worst dreams. There was one preacher who dozed off and he dreamed that he was standing in the pulpit and preaching and he awoke and he was. Now that would be a, a nightmare. Well, I hope you've turned already to Daniel chapter 2, our sermon series from the early chapters of Daniel, the story chapters of Daniel. A sermon entitled, and I've got my notes right here, don't you worry, The Impossible Dream. You keep your eye on them, make sure nobody gets these things. He shot straight up out of bed, forehead wet with sweat. His pulse was pounding. The bed and linens were tangled up like a well-worn fishing net. Nebuchadnezzar had been haunted by a horrible dream, a nightmare. For just unsettling situations, he kept a cadre of Chaldean diviners, magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, and the like. Now, surely, when Nebuchadnezzar needed them the most, they would step up and help this troubled king who had had the nightmare. Surely, they would give him the comfort and the keys to unlock the never-ending nightmare of the king. We have all tossed and turned on the relentless bed of restlessness. At night, it seems like the demons of the day come out to haunt us. They take advantage of our anxieties and our fears and our uncertainties and our deepest doubts. Those of us who appear to reign as Chaldean kings during the day find ourselves tortured by tomorrow's worries as night falls. Darkness always has the demons troubling our dreams. In our second sermon, our Daniel series, we take a look at Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare and Daniel's God-given gift to be able to interpret the dream. Well, verses 1 through 3 are called Calling the Chaldean Conjurers. Calling the Chaldean Conjurers. Corey already read those to you. He was seeking questions. He was seeking answers to the questions raised by his restless night and dramatic dreams. The king called together all of his soothsayers to solve his puzzling nightmare. Now the crux of the, crux of the problem comes clear in verse 3. As Nebuchadnezzar seeks to know the meaning of his dream. 
Now, ancient Jewish historian Josephus thinks that Nebuchadnezzar forgot his dream. Have you ever wakened in the morning and been troubled and you're, you're just disturbed and you can't remember what the dream was that disturbed you? He says that Nebuchadnezzar wanted the conjurers, the wise men, to tell him the dream because, well, he had forgotten it. He needed to know the dream and the interpretation of the dream. Well, there is nothing in the text to suggest necessarily that the monarch had memory loss, but maybe he did. Well, in verse 4, calling on the king with confidence. Calling on the king with confidence. The diviners were trained in the mystery of solving dreams. They're actually ancient manuals the Akkadians put together with various symbols. So if a man dreams this, it means that. And they had collected these symbols of dreams and these reoccurring dreams, and they had the solutions to them. In fact, there's actually been archaeologically some of those old Akkadian dream manuals discovered. They had memorized the manuals. And so when the monarch needed the interpretation of his dream, they were ready. Okay, king. You tell us what you dreamed, and we'll tell you what it means. That's not what the king had asked for, was it? Well, look at verse 5. He, he's more demanding. The king appointed. Notice verse 5. Then the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will made into a rubbish heap. Now, the king's command is firm. If they didn't catch the tone of the command, he followed it by saying, I'll rip you limb to limb. I'll burn your houses, make them into rubbish if you do not tell me exactly what my dream means. Now, while there are a lot of megalomaniacal potentates that might bluff, the reality is if you know anything about the history of Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't bluffing. He was very harsh with people like 2 Kings 25, the way he treats King Zedekiah, or in Jeremiah 29, the way he treats two Jewish rebels, or in Daniel chapter 3, the next chapter, how he treats Daniel's three friends. Well, you, if you know Nebuchadnezzar, you know he would have no qualm with carrying out his cruel threat on the counselors. Now... His demand is ridiculous, is it not? But he wanted to verify their interpretation to make sure if they could tell him the dream, then that would mean that their interpretation was valid as well. Well, in verses 6 through 9, negotiating with Nebuchadnezzar. Negotiating with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, negotiations are fair when they take place between two parties of equal power. The problem in these negotiations is clear. Nebuchadnezzar has all the power and all the authority, and his counselors and wise men have absolutely none. But he wants them to tell him his dream. That way he can be sure. Lest they make up some fanciful interpretation just to buy themselves some time and wait till the political winds blow in a new direction. And therefore, they would... We'll try to bluff the king in interpretation. You tell me my dream. Well, look at verses 10 through 11, the confessing Chaldeans, 10 through 11. Now the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. 
And as much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magicians, conjurer the Chaldeans. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, those whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Perhaps the apex of the problem emerges as the pagan soothsayers proclaim the truth. There is no human being on earth who could tell you what you've dreamed, O king. The sages and the soothsayers have been taught only to interpret dreams, not to reveal dreams. So the Chaldeans continued their confession that there is no one except a God who could do what you have asked. Now, what's interesting to me, as these conjuring Chaldeans, not for one moment, not one of them says, maybe our gods will give us the dream. Not one of them thought, for a single second that Marduk or Bel or the other gods of the Babylonians would be able to give them the king's dream. They realize they're toast. They're in trouble. Well, Isaiah the prophet had said long ago in Isaiah 47, listen to these words from the prophet. Isaiah had said long ago that the Babylonian wise men would, would come up empty Stand fast now in your spells and in your many sorceries with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you may cause trembling. You are wearied with your many counsels. Then now the astrologers, those who prophesy by the stars, those who predict the new moon, stand up and save you from what will come upon you. Behold, you have become like stubble and fire, and you cannot deliver yourselves from the power of the flame. There is no coal to warm, nor fire to sit before. Isaiah had said, long before the Babylonian wise men will come up empty. Well, in verses 12 through 16, I call it looking for Daniel. Let's look at just 13. And so the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. So they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. So the king says, you can't tell me my dream. I'm going to slay all the wise men of Babylon. Now, remember, Daniel had been in Babylonian U. He was in his three-year program. He was a wise man, an interpreter of dreams in Babylon. Perhaps Daniel and his friends are still in their training, and they're not asked to tell the dream. But nonetheless, they're part of the cadre of the Chaldean wise men, and so they shall be murdered too. Well... Daniel acts wisely, for Daniel can interpret dreams. Do you remember all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 17? We were given a hint as a reader of the text when we were told Daniel even understood all sorts of visions and dreams. Chapter 1, the writer tells you Daniel does understand visions and dreams. Daniel goes into the king. You remember the book of Esther. That's a daring thing to do. If you go into the king unsummoned, then, well, the king, well, if he doesn't receive you, then you will be killed. Daniel, in verses 17 through 18, asks his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, to pray for him. Look at 17. Then Daniel went into his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, in order they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 17 through 18 is praying for compassion. 
They're called by their Hebrew names. And this is the last time in the book of Daniel they're called by their Hebrew names. Why? Their names mean something. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Mishael means who is what God is. And Azariah means Yahweh will help. You guys pray that God will give me the dream to deliver us and deliver all the wise men. Plead for mercy, he asked them. Plead to the God of heaven. Verses 19 through 23, making known the mystery. Look at verse 19, making known the mystery. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and the epochs, who removes kings and establishes kings, who gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what is requested of thee. For thou hast made known to us the king's matter. Well, Daniel gets the mystery. He gives this song of thanksgiving. In this song of thanksgiving, he tells us two things. First of all, he says, God has all the power. God sets up kings and kingdoms and God takes down kings and kingdoms. Secondly, he tells us that only God is wise and only God is the real dispenser of wisdom. In verse 21, we have that key to this whole chapter. God changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings. He establishes kings. And he gives wisdom to the wise men and knowledge to the men of understanding. Well, verses 24 through 25, delaying the destruction. Do not destroy the wise men, it says in verse 24. Daniel had already saved himself. But now Daniel wanted to save even the pagan wise men of Babylon with whom he'd been going to school. Don't kill them, the text says. Now notice, O Arioch, in verse 25, while Daniel is trying to save others, Arioch takes Daniel into the king and says, I have found the Judean who can give you your dream and your interpretation, trying to take some credit for what happens. Well, in verse 26 through 30, recognizing God's revelation. Recognizing God's revelation. Look at verse 28. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Daniel starts out sounding like the other cadre, the Chaldean wise men and and conjurers. He starts by saying, there's no one who can do this. There is no man who can do this, O king. He sounds like another failure. And then verse 28, there is no man, but there is a God in heaven. While the God of the Babylonian wise men could not give them the king's dream, Yahweh, the God of being, the God of heaven, as he's called in this passage, he gives Daniel both the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And and Daniel gives him that dream. God is in the revealing business, isn't he? And ultimately, of course, God reveals in the person of Jesus Christ. We read in Hebrews, 
God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, and these last days has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he has made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. One of the key statements can be made about our God. Our God is a revealing God. God reveals your dream. God reveals in his word. God reveals in his son the living word. At last, Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare has been solved. The puzzle has been pieced together, but not by Daniel, but rather by Daniel's God, the God of heaven. Verses 31 through 33, we read about this vision of the statue. Look at verse 31. You, O king, were looking, behold, there was a great single statue, a statue which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its breast and its arms were made of silver. Its belly and its thighs were of bronze, its legs of iron, and the feet partly of clay and partly of iron. And you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed all at the same time. They came like chaff of the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away. Not a piece of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That was a dream, O king. And this is its interpretation. He declares and tells the king's dream was clarity. There's one huge statue. Now we're going to have a huge statue in Daniel, and this is getting the reader ready for that statue. And there are actually some ancient statues in Babylon found that stand of a man 20 feet tall. This is a common dream in antiquity. Well, there was a statue, and it had different elements to it, different metals. Starts with the richest gold, Nebuchadnezzar. This king, this kingdom starts with a head, goes down with silver, and then with bronze, and then iron, and with clay. Costliness and strength are woven together in this multi-metal statue to represent the power and the coming and going of the kingdoms. And then you look at the feet. With the iron, there's clay the point of vulnerability which will be struck by the stone. Goliath had the one point of vulnerability, this statue on the other end at the feet of clay. And then verse 34, what's this stone? There's a statue and there's a stone. All of the elements of the cosmos are divided into the creator and that which is created. The kingdoms are created. The stone is not made with hands. The stone is the creator. The stone is our Christ, whose kingdom becomes a great mountain when all other kingdoms disappear. Now, we can debate for a long time about what kingdoms are represented. I would say the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. The silver on the arms and chest of the Medo-Persian Empire, which comes next in history. 
the belly and thighs of bronze of the Greek Empire. And we finish off with leg of iron and feet, the Roman Empire. And during the Roman Empire, the Christ arrives, the stone arrives, who sets up his kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said. Nebuchadnezzar, O king of kings, Daniel uses a little flattery, you're the head of gold, but the kingdoms are coming and changing, and God is in charge of all of them, but in the end, it is God who will be the king in his own kingdom, the stone not made with hands. Verse 46 through 49, the response. The king is awed at the end of the story. He marvels. King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 46, fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him with an offering and fragrant incense. And and the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, the revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery to me. Daniel's made in charge of the province of Babylon and in charge of all the Chaldean wise men. First of all, we learn God actively works in human history. The risings of kings and the rising of kingdoms and nations come and go and powers rise and diminish. None of that is a surprise to God for God is absolutely, completely in control. Of all the nations represented in this multi-metallic statue, God is not surprised by the Babylonians or the Medo-Persians or by the Greeks or the Roman Empire. God knows he's driving it to the stone, the kingdom of our Christ. Secondly, only the kingdom of the Christ ultimately matters You remember that message of Jesus when he arrived, the one sentence sermon, repent for the kingdom of God has begun with my presence or or the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We await that day for the stone to crush all the kings and all the kingdoms. They're blown away like dust in the wind and nothing of them remains and only the Christ and his kingdom shall remain. And finally, be careful about how you applaud human achievements. Nebuchadnezzar was so glad to be called the king of kings. In fact, he even almost worships Daniel here as he bows down to Daniel. Remember verse 28 is a central verse. No man can do anything, O king, but there is a God in heaven. Humility to Daniel, humility to Nebuchadnezzar. There is no man who can tell you your dream or interpret your dream, O king, but there is a God in heaven, a dose of humility to us all. God alone can do what men cannot do. Perhaps the best takeaway from the whole chapter is found there, verse 28. However, however, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Let us pray. Oh God, sometimes we take our own kings and kingdoms too seriously. We realize there's the rising and the falling of nations and there's only one, na- one kingdom made up of all people from all nations who utter Jesus as Lord that ultimately matters. 
when we all sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Perhaps there's someone here this morning troubled in their own spirit as the king was. Now they hear the passage, but there is a God in heaven who reveals. Maybe there are others of us who are building kingdoms on earth like Nebuchadnezzar. Think that our company, our program, our corporation, our family will last forever. May we be reminded that kingdoms come and go, but the God of the universe, the stone, stands. Oh God, thank you for being a revealing God, revealing through your word and through your son. Amen.